0: Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson. This is an episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I'm bringing back who, who I believe was my very first guest uh, way back last summer, Matt Moore of the Action Network. Matt, how are you?
1: I'm okay. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I have lots to do. Um, I have to re- I usually take two months to do 30 capsules on win totals for each individual team, and I have to do them in two weeks. Sure. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm. I'm a little. I'm a little stressed, and I, I've written. I've written like 9,000 words and I'm only halfway through and it's not great, but I'm pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm okay. Let's actually talk about that. I find that interesting. So with this, with win totals and you have two months, do you kind of basically go back and forth and adjust things like constantly over that two month period?
1: Yeah. So I do an initial run to get a sense of of where I'm at on things. And then I do basically like constant reevaluations. And then the biggest change happens in camp actually, Mm. because in camp, uh, in camp you get word of like, guys are pretty enthusiastic like this is actually going pretty well. Like sometimes there's teams that are a little bit like, I don't know. And then you get, you hear certain things like the biggest example of this was, I bet super heavy on the bucks two years ago. Uh, in that year, where they um, like Budenholzer's first year, because I went up there for training camp, and you could just tell from talking to anybody close to the organization or the players that everybody was like, "Yeah, this is different." Like you got a sense for um, there's a vibe in the in the building that's just entirely different. And then <clears throat> there are also teams where it's like, if a coach is 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 pretty much like coming out every press conference and being like, you know, like I think it's it's, it's coming along uh it's, it may take us a little bit while like those kind of things you start to be like oh i don't know um so there are always like little things i pick up on in camp and in preseason in preseason you'll get a sense for who is playing like they actually are just like this is awesome i love playing this game this team is so much fun i'm having so much fun playing basketball like those are the teams that you really want to bet versus the teams that are just like okay let's let's do the preseason thing again like you need a level <laughs> of enthusiasm in order, in order to uh, hit your, your win total over. So those those are things I'm usually trying to focus on. Everybody kind of points to like injuries and things like that. And I'm way more interested in the ephemeral, like, how does it feel for that team?
0: Well, and there's, there's gotta be a lot of that this year, because with such a, uh, you know, you have your teams that haven't played in nine months, and then you have your teams that haven't played in 65 days. And I'm sure with, you know, just to use the Lakers as an example, they're probably very weird to talk about with that just because while they improved on paper as a team, they also haven't had much time off. And, you know, we're already seeing that, you know, 80 and LeBron aren't going to play in a preseason game, which are start tomorrow, by the way, um, which is wild to me. And And you're just like seeing a lot of this stuff already. So it's probably, you know, is this is this the hardest year that you've had to do this since since, you know, maybe let's just say the lockout season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think, like, trying to figure out how, how much teams are going to care is important, <laughs> I think. Uh, because, like, well, here's the other thing. Um, this is actually the toughest part. <clears throat> so, last year, I bought into the parity concept, okay? So, I kind of evened everybody out in terms of there's not going to be any teams, like, that are really dominant. Um, everybody's going to be, like, really competitive the floor is going to be pretty high and the ceiling is going to be pretty low. And it wasn't that way. It just wound up being like the Lakers, the Clippers and the Bucks were all really high. Well, even just the Lakers and the Bucks were really high. And then there was like definite two, three, four teams behind them and then major drop-offs and then another major drop off and the bad teams were still horrible. And so this year, I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm stratifying this thing heavily. The good teams are going to be great. The middle teams are going to be eh, and the bad teams are going to be horrible. But then I get into this and I'm like, yeah, but like, what, how much incentive do the good teams have? Cause they need to rest and they need to, like, if you're playing 72 games in 146 days, which is at what with the All Star break, you're going to have to rest guys somewhere. And that's going to cause opportunities for teams to catch. But then there's the other side of it, which is I've heard from like multiple executives have said to me, I think teams are basically a lot of teams are just going to punt on the season. Mm. It's messed up. It's a bad schedule. They know they can't win. Everything is weird. You've got COVID, all this stuff. And so you just like push that to the side. Right. And just and like, let's just punt on this season the thunder are a great example of this where from an organizational standpoint, that's a very good team. Like they right. know how to build a basketball team. The coaching is not going to be that much of a drop-off. It's still a very good coach. Um, <clears throat> even though he's inexperienced, um, you know, it's like, well, who do they have on a roster. And then you actually, like, I just started looking at it last night. Like I discovered Kendrick Williams is on the thunder last night. Like last night at like one o'clock in the morning, mountain time. I was like tweeting like Kendrick Williams is on the thunder. They have like, 23 this, players on their roster right yeah. now. It's insane. Yeah, but but also, I'm like, well, okay, they have, you know, they got George Hill. They got they got Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Al Horford. Those are the two best players on roster. If you tell me a team's got Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Al Horford, I'm like, that's pretty good. Um, Like, there's pieces there. Right. But then there's also the fact of, like, I I just know Sam Presti's going to, like, eventually get to a point where he's going to be like, oh, sorry, Shea. I'm really sorry to hear about your hamstring. It's a bummer. And Shea's like, what, what are you talking about? My hamstrings fine. Yeah, I know it's tough having those hamstring injuries to keep you out weeks. It's a tough thing. Here's your ticket to Mexico. Bye. Like they're they're just very likely to completely tank, and they're going to have to openly do it because they're too good otherwise. Um, so I'm trying to figure out basically like what is the structure of this season going to be? Is it going to be what maybe I thought it was going to be last year, where there's more parity, or is it going to be the same thing it usually is, where there's two to three dominant teams, a bunch of eh, pretty good, a whole lot of uh, and then a couple of like blah teams. Let me ask you
0: kind of a nerdy question. So I've been thinking about this. There's a usual schedule and flow with the way the NBA, like a, a general NBA team's uh, schedule is set up because they have, you know, there's certain things that are built into the calendar, like the Spurs road trip. Uh, that they have to take, and then you know, just things that happen in the world where the the NBA kind of schedulers have to get very—it's um, creative, but it's consistent. Where you'll see like the same kind of road trips for teams, because you know they'll do a Western Conference swing. You'll see some—you'll see a team swing through the Northeast and play those teams. Whereas this year, you—the know, you, first half of the schedule that's been released, there's a lot of kind of tightly. It's it's not quite baseball, but it it gives me some baseball vibes where you're playing like series. Is. Does that impact any of this with you, or do you just kind of throw your hands up and say like I don't know what I'm doing?
1: I think the problem is like trying to I don't the, the time crunch is the issue, right? Mm. Like I've got I've got three weeks to try and incorporate that information into these evaluations. Like I'd like to because I find it it's difficult to beat a team twice in a week. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of data that suggests that. No, there's not a lot. There's some conflicting data that says that if you face a team twice in one week, you are very likely to win. If you lost the first one, mm. it's just tough because they remember a lot of it from talking to players. As I was like, do you, do you have like extra motivation? Is it like the coaches like remember last time and like you have a better scouting report and the players are like, it's not, he's like the motivate. They say that the motivation is part of it, <clears throat> but they also say, the biggest thing is stuff that caught you off guard last time doesn't catch you off guard now. If that guy beat you three times on a backdoor last game, you're not gonna get caught the next game because you like watched you had to sit there and watch the film and watch yourself get embarrassed with your teammates. And so you're like more aware of that backdoor cut. You're more aware of I gotta force him to his left hand and stuff like that. It's like a playoff series in that it's easier to get used to the things that caught you off guard in the first game after you already played them when it's when you don't play them when you play them in a short span of time versus they said, if you face a team in like November and then you talk to it and then you play a team in January, you don't remember that November game. There's so many games you just don't remember. And so you, you do the same things over again. You find yourself making the same mistakes and it's easier to to keep those apart. So I'd like to incorporate that information but it's really difficult because I just don't have time in order to get, go through all 30 schedules and be like, OK, they've got this number of these and they this team's got these and all those type of things. It's too much data to try and sort through.
0: Well, I, I'm going to circle back to some of the stuff at the end of the podcast because I, I have some like really like broad based questions. But I want to talk Mavericks because I did invite you on a Mavericks podcast. And I think um, we we should start with their their last season and. The last time you and I talked on a podcast was somehow August of 2019. That's really how long it's been, um, despite the fact that I talk to you every day. And when we were talking, it was well before preseason, and I was still very much in, in kind of a, I don't know how to feel about the Mavericks stage. And you, know, you and I, our conversation was essentially justification for both of us for why we didn't think the Mavericks were going to be, why they weren't going to make the leap. Uh, whoops yeah and just to read you back a couple of your lines because i have to sass you on this a little bit okay you were talking you were talking about their uh their role players and you said none of the guys on this team have been part of a prolific offense it's true um it was true (laughs) no longer true but it was true at the time um, and then the other one, and this was the one that rankled our fan base, uh, was the comparison between the Mavericks and the Pelicans, uh, where you just felt on paper heading into 2019, 2020, that the, Ma- that the Mavericks were not as deep as the Pelicans, which again was true. You said, I feel confident that, uh, uh that Drew Holiday is still the best NBA player between those two rosters. Um, that ended up being incorrect,
1: yeah well little, little off,
0: but it it's the the way forward for the Mavericks in twenty nineteen was that Luca was going to take a leap. Kevin Pelton was the first person I remember hearing saying that on a podcast, like this is the way forward for them, and I think all of us thought he'd improve, but the way Luca improved in year two was kind of a once in a generation leap like you're just not going to see that like if if I know everyone's really hyped about how Zion Williamson could come out and play but I just you know given the way that man uh, plays basketball the force I just I, I just don't expect him to play more than you know 50 games this season so it's the way Luca ended up being was was kind of Insane. And, you know, when you and I talk about this in private, it, the conversation always comes back to it's, it's really ridiculous just how much better the team was because Luca was good. Um, and, and it's really that simple and it shouldn't have been that simple, but it was, it was just that he was better. And then, therefore, the 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 tide, the, the rising tide, lifted everybody else. I mean, there were six guys in the roster last year that posted career three point percentages, which is mm-hmm. kind of out, which is ridiculous. So, so, so what what do we think about their last season? What what were your kind of takeaways as
1: you you know had a couple of months to reflect? Uh, well, I liked my wounds and dealt with Mavericks fans and my mentions. Um, <laughs> I think. I, I, there's a couple of, of broad strokes here. So one is <clears throat> when you do this for long enough, you wind up having to decide with young players, are you going to go towards the route of over optimism because you're so excited about what they can do? Um, which is why Lakers fans, um, felt that Brandon Ingram and Lonzo ball were going to be hall of famers. Um, Or you can go the other way, which is you can have skepticism, which is like, look, this league is tough. This is a tough league, and young guys struggle, uh, and it takes them a couple of years to understand and slow the game down enough. Um, If you'd asked me, like, is the curve for Luka Doncic to do that shorter than for other young stars, I would have said absolutely. It's absolutely shorter. If you had said, is Luka Doncic going to be an MVP candidate next season? I would have been like, probably not. And if he is, the Mavericks are definitely hitting their over. Well, guess what? He was an MVP candidate and he hit his over. What I, I noted was, like, when I started going through the splits of who was on court, off court, Like, here's one that stands out. Um, Seth Curry's a great shooter. Like, no question. A great shooter. That's what he does. He's one of the Curry brothers. Great shooter. That's what they do. They shoot the ball. They shoot it really well. Uh Luka's offensive rating was better with Curry on court, but it was only on better by less than a percentage point. It was 0.7 better. Mm-hmm. Um it wasn't notably better. Uh it wasn't significantly better. It was just like no they're the and it was 115 either way. So it's like you either had the best offense in NBA history with Curry on or you had the best offense in NBA history with Curry off. And that pattern kind of repeated itself over and over and over again. Like there are definitely players that he played better with um, and players that he struggled with early that he got better with like Porzingis. I think in general, what I didn't like the, there are a couple of players I can circle and go, I did not expect their performance. And uh, like I would circle Tim Hardaway Jr. Like right off the bat is a player that was like, Hey, he's pretty good in Atlanta. And then he gets that contract and you're like, what? Like, he's not, like, that's not what he is. Like, that's not a thing. Um, You know, like, so Tim Hardaway shooting 40% from three, and that was after a drop-off later in the season when, for the first couple of months, when the Mavericks banked all those wins, like, he was incendiary. Like, he was just insane. Um, You know, DFS shot 38% from three. Like, that's incredible, right? After being a 30%.
0: A 30%, yes. like an 8% yes. rise. I try to explain this to some of my friends.
1: I'm like, this does not happen. Happen. Period. Um, <laughs> like Maxi Cleaver, 37%. Delon Wright, 37%. um You know, and then on down, like Jalen Brunson, 36%. And then you get into Chris Dapps at 35 and obviously Lucas shooting 32%. Um, I still don't really understand how, because some of this is you could just be like, it's just like Luca, he just makes everybody so much better. And I absolutely believe in the concept of a player as good as Luca and as good of a passer as he is making guys better. What I don't understand is the ability to literally make them shoot better. And this is something that has always like escaped my my grasp. I can't I can't understand the ability to raise a shooter's percentage you can get them more open looks but we're not just talking about that like their open looks percentage increase well they got even better looks yeah but if guys have too much time Mm -hmm. then they often wind up missing so it's like they were able in this to have this perfect rhythm and things like this is one of the reasons why when i started thinking about like okay what am i going to do when the win totals come out like what are my initial thoughts I like the map for the first team that kind of came to mind. And I was like, do I want to double down? Like if they, if I thought that they were not going to be that good last year and they were so much better than what I thought either, all of my priors were completely wrong. And all of these shooters are just the best shooters in the NBA or they overperformed and they're due for a regression. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was before all of the changes that the roster made. And before I, when I really started to dig into it, I've I've kind of come to the conclusion going forward and we can transition there if you want, but like, yes. um, The conclusion I've kind of reached is like, look, it doesn't matter if you can understand it. You need to accept that Luka Doncic and his play raises the ceiling for this team specifically to a level to which you need to basically remove your priors and accept like a new baseline reality. And if you think that the players that they added are better than the players that they had last year, then you need to keep them at least at the same level, even if they regress a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm at is I don't expect them to have the best offensive rating in history again. But I think that they are set for another jump in win totals. I'm going to take their over and I'm set on the Mavericks to be a top four seed in the Western Conference.
0: Well, before we discuss the next season, there's one more thing from last season I would like for you to try to explain because I'm a little poor at this. You the other night tweeted out, and then I got like six people messaging me about it. The the Pythagorean win expectation for 2019-20, the Mavericks total. I can't remember where they finished, but on a 50 or on an 82 game win pace, they they were they their Pythagorean expectation based off of um, isn't that based off of point uh margin yeah I, could explain yeah. walk me through it like walk me walk us through like what you were tweeting about like what your point was
1: okay so the point is um pythagorean when expectation when expectation basically says like how much how many how many games should you have won based off of your uh based off of your point total versus actual and and at and like that goes also into srs for basketball reference which factors basically point differential versus um strict the schedule right So the Mavericks were one of the few teams um, last season that underperformed their uh, Pythagorean. So Mm -hmm. uh, they they won at a 57.3% clip. Like, wow, how incredible is that? When I went to look at these numbers, I was like, they probably should have won like 0.55, maybe like 0.54. Their Pythagorean win percentage says 0.653. (laughs) They should have won 65%. Now, look, Pythagorean isn't, like, the absolute, because, like... No, things happen. This is specifically where the clutch thing comes into play, Mm -hmm. right? Is like, the Pythagorean isn't going to be able to factor in, like, you screw up when things get tense. Like, it doesn't factor that in. And so this .653 mark is more a representation of how much do you absolutely clock teams by. Um, And if you perform poorly in close games, you're oftentimes going to want to get whacked in the Pythagorean. The big thing here is just they were so much better than expected, and they should have been even better. Like that number was really convincing to me for me being like, yeah, I'm gonna have to take, I'm gonna have to take their over because they were the sixth best team in Pythagorean win expectation last year. It was the Lakers at five, and then the Mavericks at six, and then the Heat. They were between the two NBA finalists in terms of expected win percentage. Like, the number one was the Bucs. And that makes sense if you look at the win profiles because they absolutely annihilate teams. The Bucs have by far the most wins by 20 points, right? And so if mm-hmm. you're just absolutely slaughtering these teams, it's not going to be like, oh, you're better versus X versus Y because you're going to play a, a random distribution of good and bad teams throughout the season anyway. Um The Clippers were second. The Celtics were tied with them at, at third, which makes a lot of sense. Again, the Celtics just, like, the Celtics' win profile was really good. The Raptors were fourth. Again, really good win profile. The Lakers won a ton, but they didn't win by as much, which is why they were up there. And then you have the Mavericks, which are basically like when they won, they obliterated teams. And when they lost, they lost really small because they lost all of their small games. Yeah, And it's, so it's, like, that's what that plays I, in.
0: I just looked this up. So the Mavericks, as a team, have played in the neighborhood, I think, in the, uh, of – Playoff and regular season, something like 3,300 games ever, all time since 1980. Nine of their top 50 scoring games came last season. Yeah. Um, they just, and I have a little bit of a hard time with this because when you beat the Cavaliers by like 46 points or something, that, screws with everything for the rest of the year. But then the flip side of that was they just lost so many of these games by mm-hmm. when the game was within five points. So I'm not really sure. So what that all means? Cause like well, you wax the good teams, then you can't win. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know.
1: So, so here, here's, here's like the, the way to really think about it. Okay. The misconception that a lot of people have about the NBA regular season is like, how do you like, how, how do you get a high win, a high win total? And it's like, we well, you need to be good versus everybody. You need to be a really good team. That's a lie. It's an absolute mm-hmm. lie. If you want to rack up a top four seed and a high win total, you need to beat the bad teams and you need to beat their pants off. You need to absolutely annihilate them because if you beat the pants, let me put, let's compare two teams and they're two teams that we're close to because I cover the Nuggets here in Denver. Um, and you obviously have this fine Mavericks podcast and website of yours. The Mavericks last season, okay, in games decided by 10 points or more were 23 and 9. The Lakers won 25 games by 10 points or more, the Mavericks won 23 <laughs> and the Mavericks lost fewer games by 10 okay. points or more, okay? Um the Denver Nuggets were 16 and 13. They they won by 10 points or more 13 fewer times than Dallas, okay? Um, and they lost four times more, four more times than Dallas. However, however, all of these close losses, most of these close losses are versus good teams. And Dallas in close games, as I'm sure, you know, three points or less was (laughs) two and 11, (laughs) not great. Bob, uh, the Denver nuggets were nine and five. Okay. Okay the big key here is that Denver was 29 and 12 versus teams under 500. The Mavericks were 31 and 14 that like, if you want to win, I've, I found this trend consistently. I got to figure out what the number extrapolates to for 72 games. I haven't done that yet. Um, I have a going theory in the Western conference, the Western conference specifically, if you want to make the playoffs in the Western conference, you need to lose 10 or if you want to have like a top five seed, basically you need to lose 10 or fewer games to teams under 500. That's like the goal It's like, you want to win, you want to lose 10 or fewer games to teams under 500. Last season was a real exception because you had the Clippers, the Nuggets and the Rockets all lost more, which tells you like, there were some weird things going on last season. Sure. Um, but but the mavericks they lost 14 times to teams under 500 which but for where they're at like that's a good progression in terms of of where they were getting to the big key here is if we look at the pythagorean it really shows that when you win you win huge and versus these bad teams one of the reasons that denver struggled with bad teams was because they would go up on them but they'd only go up on them six or seven or they'd be down four going into the fourth quarter the cavs game sticks out this way for me with denver where The Cavs should not have won that game, but Denver let them hang around thinking they could just put them down in the fourth quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland got supernova hot. And that was it. Same thing happened versus Atlanta where Trey Young just went off in the fourth quarter. You let the bad teams hang around and they're going to like, they don't get many chances to win, but if they're down 20, they're just going through the motions trying to get out of there and get back on the plane. So Mm -hmm. like that, that's like, that's like a lot of this is if you're building a win profile for the regular season, the regular season what you want is you want to absolutely annihilate the bad teams the Spurs were the kings of this until last year like every single year you would look at how did the Spurs get a top five seed again how did the Spurs get a top three seed how they win 50 games again and then you would look at their their record versus teams under 500 and they would annihilate them
0: right that's really interesting I'm we could talk about the playoffs, but I don't really want to in the sense of, I feel that the Clippers were the worst possible matchup for Dallas. And I think that them getting absolutely thumped in those four and four of those games was actually fairly important for what the team uh, needed because they went into the off season and reshaped a significant portion of their roster in a, I don't know. It it was, it was unsexy. I think is, is the word that I'd, I'd use, but, everybody that is I've talked to is it seems to be very at least interested with the fact that they've built a a similar looking team to what the Lakers did last year in terms of just having a bunch of tall guys uh they have a bunch of you know six five to six eight guys which feels of value for a team that isn't you know, unlike the Lakers, they're probably not going to be top notch defensively, but I do think that they'll be better than 18th in defensive rating. So, so what do you think about the off season, and then where do you think they're like going? You know, you said top four in the West, so you're obviously feeling you know somewhat bullish about them.
1: Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm here's why I'm nervous. If I was so wrong about all my priors about them last season, <laughs> am I wrong about my like? If I thought that they were all jabronis last year and they wound up being awesome. And I think that they have a really good roster this year with those changes that they made. Are they going to wind up being worse than expected? Like, I'm really worried about that possibility. So I'm trying to tie everything and just be like, Luca, 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 Luca. Um, look, they, they picked up a lot of, of Matt Moore guys. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, they picked up a lot of Matt Moore guys. Um, James Johnson comes with a lot of uh, baggage. Um, but Marcus Morris is going to think twice next time that they meet mm-hmm. like because like that was a big deal the people of the people in the nba where i'm i'm legitimately like he might kill you james johnson is like probably number one on the list of like <laughs> of like you don't want to mess with him you'll die um it's like tough 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 dude um i love josh richardson i liked him in miami I think he, I think that the Mavericks got him on such a, they bought low on him and they sold high on Seth. And I think that that was just a really smart move in terms of yeah. the trade. Yeah. I, I um, do too.
0: Cause that, that might've
1: been Seth's like, best season as an NBA player. And like, well, part of it too, with, with Richardson, I've been making this noise about this all along is everybody's like, well, oh, poor Embiid, you know, I don't blame Embiid, man. They did not put shooters around this team. Al Horford was a shooter before he got to Philadelphia. Josh Richardson was a 37% shooter before he got to Philadelphia, like on and on and on. Eventually guess what? Maybe, maybe like if you keep looking around for who the asshole is, maybe you. Um, And so I'm very high on Josh Richardson. I just think he's a guy that can shoot. He can defend. He's going to be able to handle the ball a little bit. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. I think that, that was a, a really smart move. Uh, you know, I'm high on the so getting rid of him like is kind of a bummer. But I get it. Uh, he just he needs I, a different style. He's better than he played. Yeah, um, I really like Wes Awundu. I've been high on him for years. Mm. I think Wes. I think Wes Awundu is really underrated. I'm not saying that like he's really underrated. Isn't like he could be like the next Kawhi Leonard. Um, I'm just saying he's going to be, I think when they signed him, I was like, you're going to be frustrated by him because he's going to miss shots. He's going like, to ninth,
0: ninth man. Like that's, yeah. you know, a, a big wing as a ninth man is awesome.
1: <laughs> I, well, and also like he, he just, he's so good defensively. Like he's just a terror. There were games where the magic were basically just going through the motions and Wes was still out there making plays. And like, I would pull clips of him and post it. Cause you could just tell that the magic were very much like, okay, let's another Tuesday in February. Okay. And then Wes Wundo would be like, I will make plays. Sure. We will win this game. Like he he plays very hard, and I like those guys a lot. Um and so does Rick Carlisle. Yep, yeah, yeah. So like Dwight Powell, uh getting him back, I think is a is a big plus. I don't know what he's gonna be like. Obviously, it's a concern, right? But when he gets back, like I think that that's huge for giving Luca the kind of like they were so good in pick and roll they were just mm-hmm. so good in pick and roll um and I think the cleaver really progressed last season I thought that he really made some um I, I thought he gained traction to be able um to to be a better player than he was at the start of the season and they learned how to fit him next to him to let you know how high I am on, on this particular roster this is like my craziest take um I was asked last night on locked on rockets about like, well, I assume most of that's tied to Porzingis. And I was like, I actually don't care if Porzingis comes back or not. I still think that they're that good. Yeah. I really like. I just because they don't.
0: didn't play with Porzingis. They, right. they got off to a 16 and six start. And then mm-hmm. after that, they played 500 basketball because of the injuries. Yeah. And then they showed in the playoffs, even with one third of, of KP being out there, that it Luca's the straw that stirs the drink. KP is yeah. an excellent added bonus. And when he plays well, I want to, I, I don't remember the numbers, but I think when Luca and, and, and KP actually played together, the Mavericks won like 70% of their games. Yeah. The problem is they just didn't play that much together.
1: Yeah. Um, it's possible the bench units will be worse. That's possible, yes. right? Like last year you had a lot of different guys that could like fill in and they had different guard combos. Um, yeah, you know, I think Trey's made some progression there. Uh, I'm excited to see Terry. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like there's there's uh, obviously like Brunson, like there's these combos of guys that yeah. I think can be can be good, but you're a little bit worried about it. And they don't have um, they might be missing a little bit from last year's team just in terms, and that's where Porzingis' injury probably comes into play a little bit more too, right? Like the yeah. bench, the bench scoring is is worse because some of the guys have to fill in in the starting unit. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of it, they're going to be tougher. They're going to be more physical. They're going to be more athletic. They should be really fun in transition. And Luka Doncic is probably the um God. Kirk, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if there's anybody I'm willing to say is better than him. Like I just don't know. Like LeBron when he's in playoff mode. Yes. I'll give you. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that there's anybody else. I, I mean, really, one of the really greatest,
0: the, the greatest bubble game before the playoffs was the Mavericks versus Milwaukee yeah. and he, and he, and, uh, uh, Giannis went head to head and it was just, you saw the versatility of Luca's offensive game. Um, I, obviously Giannis is a far superior defensive player, but something about the way the bucks were playing. It just doesn't, they, by the time they were in the playoffs, they just weren't getting the best out of their defense. Um, and, and, and Luca is, I still think he's he's on the outside looking in of the top three or four. I think it, it it's, but that's kind of you know you're splitting hairs when you when he makes all uh, NBA all first team as a as a second year player the the way he goes forward is is kind of hard to figure out. But then you start looking at his numbers and you can see where he can improve around the margins.
1: Yeah.
0: and it's gonna be he's gonna post a James Harden like season sooner rather than later where he has like 33 points a game and it's going right. to be it's going to be very it's going to be very wild to watch because he you know he, he should he shot free throws at a better rate last season but then in the fourth quarter because he gets most of his free throws first and fourth quarter in the fourth quarter he shot under 70 percent from the line and there's just little areas where he can get a little bit better uh I still think he'll figure out some way to make an impact defensively just by getting in better shape. He kind of came into camp and I don't really love the way he looks, but I think one of these years he's gonna he's really gonna figure it out and come in looking you know again with the James Harden thing, but just very built and I think that's going to be very very big for his progression. Well, this actually leads like directly into what I wanted to ask you because we don't have a ton of time left here. So at the moment, I think the last time I checked, you know, Luca was the odds on MVP favorite. Can you kind of explain why that is other than the numbers? Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you look at the board, um, the guys at the top of the list are Giannis, LeBron, Luca, LeBron, I think it's hard to get a sense for how much he's going to play this season. And, as much as everybody was up, not everybody, as much as so many people were upset last season that um, he didn't win, he didn't win. Like he hasn't won in quite a while. And some of that's because like, he just doesn't, like he doesn't invest himself in the regular season the same way. If he played like playoff LeBron, then he would, but he can't, because that's a lot to ask of of a human being, especially at his age. And especially with this season, I think if you look at it, you just can't feel like, Oh, Um, like he's, you know, I think uh, our, our, our friend, Sean Hyken is like, he's going to a gun for the MVP. And I just don't, he wants it without having to try for it. (laughs) Like that's like, that's, that's been his thing. Like he's clearly not tried a lot and still wanted it. He tried more last year. He was awesome last year. He was incredible last year, but Giannis was better. Mm -hmm. Like I looked at it every which way and and Giannis was better. Um, so right now, and it varies a book, but right now Giannis is the favorite at, at plus 400, um Giannis or uh, luke is the favorite plus 400 sorry Giannis right. is the favorite Giannis is behind him at, at plus 480 um the problem with Giannis is i looked it up there have only been three back-to-back-to-back mvps in nba history um wilt and russell so going back to the 60s bird in 86 so going back uh 35 years and that's it nobody's done it since and <laughs> And the problem, I think, too is um one, he hasn't signed his extension, so we don't know what's gonna happen. And if he gets traded, he's out. Not you're not gonna you're not winning MVP getting traded. Not, not gonna happen. Um if even if they're awesome, there is a point where your playoff narrative does wind up making the the voter, the voters basically get to a point where they're just like, I don't wanna look stupid. Right. Like you shouldn't. You should just be like whoever's the best guy is the best guy. But there there are enough narrative voters. Like, um, especially all the LeBron voters from last year that voted for LeBron and then Giannis won and got knocked out in the second round, they're never voting for Giannis again. Yeah, yeah, they, they will not vote for him if LeBron's not in the conversation. They will go towards essentially like a third party candidate. Okay, right. Um, so after that, it gets into Anthony Davis. That's tough because he's not the best player on his team, and everybody knows it. Like. It's just tough. Like Davis would have to play like he played in the playoffs. When, by the way, a thirty percent career shooter shot thirty seven percent from three. So it going to be a big push
0: for him, though I think because like you hear the discussion from the people who do a lot of the the you know the tastemakers, for lack of a better term, and there there's going to be a big big push for for AD, even though there will be. I I just I don't I don't see it because it's without him he, without LeBron. I I just it's not that he's a good bad player or anything it's just this is pretty much the way we we've seen ad play like this and this team doesn't win when
1: it's just him yeah so a lot of this is the lakers specifically made moves to help him that that Mm -hmm. even if it wasn't to help him they will help him the problem last year was like davis when lebron wasn't on the floor was a net negative that's Mm -hmm. all of the stat wonks are going to look at that and go like that's a problem um and you're not able to look at a lot of games and be like AD really carried them when LeBron didn't have it. And if they did, it was like versus the Cavs or whoever. So I don't think that like, I just have a hard time seeing it. What would have to happen is LeBron would have to either um, get injured or quote unquote, be injured for a month and a half and the Lakers still rattle off like a 15 and two record. Sure. Like if that happens, then okay. Like he'll get himself in that conversation because I I thought it was laughable. He was a defensive player of the candidate year, Uh, defensive player. Candidate last year laughable like I watched a lot of stuff where I was like he gave up the edge like he gave up the edge of the perimeter he didn't contain this guy he missed this rotation like there were a lot of things where i was like he's not as sound as other guys um but his reputation is absolutely like this is the most dominant defensive player in the league like he is definitely a guy where the narrative is out of control because he's a laker uh after those three you get into Steph, which nobody knows what to expect okay I think there's probably like if I'm betting and I'm you know we'll see if I do um, I'm probably going to look at Steph pretty hard. It's it's 850, so it's, you know, eight and a half to one is pretty good odds for Steph Curry when I think the Warriors are going to be better than people expect. Yeah. Harden is next, which thinking that's a no, Bob, um, <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. I,
0: James Harden is going to prove people wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Durant at plus 1300, which is conceivable, because nobody's going to think that Kyrie's better than him. The Nets could wind up winning the Eastern Conference or getting the number one seed. Um, And if he looks the way that he did, and that's a powerful enough narrative, like Durant coming back from the Achilles, having this kind of season, we've never seen a player do that before. That one's really compelling, but we've also never seen a player come back before. Then you have LeBron all the way down at plus 1,500. Like that's where people think of LeBron is going to give it in terms of his effort this season. Um, Dame's a very popular pick at plus 1,900 because okay. people think yeah, Blazers, I can see that people think the Blazers are going to be a top four seed. And, and he's I a cannot.
0: narrative. That man yep. is, is probably the second best player behind LeBron James at mastering the narrative through media. Yes. And there's yep. going to be a lot people like him. And I,
1: I can yep. see why that's a good one. I like him yep. a lot. I, um, Kawhi's plus 1900. So, and then on, on and on down the list and you can get into like further ones, like uh, all the way down the list, but with Luca, He's going to have the ball a ton. He's going to play a ton of minutes. All his metrics are going to look great. Um, he's going to have tons of highlight games. He's going to have tons of game winners. He's going to have national TV games where you're just wowed by him. Um, he, he fits every single category. And like right. he's, the fact that he's doing this so young adds to his narrative appeal of being like, he's so good. Like, he's so good that he's already in the MVP conversation and that alone much the way that with LeBron, it was like, he's doing this at age 35. It's the yeah. opposite for, for Luca. It's like, he's only doing, he's doing this already at age, whatever he is. So right. Um, that, that, that I think is, is how you explain where the odds are for him.
0: That's what makes well, as usual, you and I could, could probably continue talking for a long time, but you have a day to get back to I do want to actually do my best to bring you on, you know, your and I schedules, both are terrible, but, try to bring bring you on during the season maybe like end of January after there's you know 15 and at that point maybe even closer to 20 games under because I I, I think that that you know this year might be a little different for it, but the first 20 games are very indicative of, of a team's how they finish out you know it's we have 82 games but really the data seems to show that within the first 20 to 30 you know who most teams are um and I'd like to see you know just just what you think about that but uh as always, this has this has been um, very fun. So thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me, man. I look forward to the next time I get to have my takes thrown back in my face.
0: No, no, of course not. I was very, you know, I, was, I was very gentle. Not like the the terrible people, and I'm going to tell them to leave you alone.
1: You, no, you should, you shouldn't mean meaner to me. <laughs> i I'm, I could, t- I could take it. Bring it, <laughs> bring it. You still shouldn't have won that many games last year.
0: <laughs> well, guys, this has been Matt Moore of the Action Network. You can follow him at HP Basketball, and then I want to say at Matt Moore T A N. Is that right? Well done, well done. Yeah, and he has excellent stuff up on the Action Network's website. They have a really cool app. uh Often, much better real-time scoring if you're looking to follow games like remotely, like if you're, you know, at work and you can't have it up that sort of thing. It's it's really I I recommend you know downloading the app and. You know, giving Matt a follow now that we have a Slack channel. He doesn't put all of his uh, immediate basketball takes on the internet, so he's much more fun to follow. So I recommend that, guys. Uh, <laughs> this has been Kirk with Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Please go rate and subscribe. We uh, appreciate it, and we'll talk to you guys later in the week.